Hi, thank you so much for listening to a Church in the City podcast. We hope that you enjoy this message and that it enriches and encourages you today and that it can serve towards fulfilling our mission of empowering a movement of passionate Jesus followers. thing, all right? Anytime you start to talk about the gospel, especially with people who are unchurched, unsaved, um, there's always one question that inevitably comes up in the conversation. Can anybody guess what that question is? If God is so good, oh, come on, what a bunch of crap. I hate that question. It's, it's fundamentally flawed, okay? If God is so good, why do bad things, why, yeah, why do bad things happen to good people? So I got on the internet yesterday and I asked the internet, 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 why do bad things happen to good people? And I got some great answers. I'm gonna give you the top three. This is a Letterman style. If you know David Letterman, this is a Letterman style. Top three reasons why bad things happen to good people according to the internet, okay? Number three, why do bad things happen to good people? To make up for all the good things that happen to bad people. Well, that's number three. Wait till I get going. <laughs> Number two, reason why bad things happen to good people, according to the internet. Sometimes bad things just happen to good people. But in your case, it was definitely karma. <laughs> Maybe that should have been number three. Number three should have been number two. Number one reason why bad things happen to good people, according to the internet. That only actually happened once. And he volunteered. Yeah, go internet. Yeah. I think that was um, Sproul that said that. Anyway, um, it was a meme, uh, a little meme I saw on the internet. That only happened once. And he volunteered. It's a fundamentally flawed question. Here's the thing, friends. Humanity is obsessed with a merit-based system of rewards. We're obsessed with it. Everywhere you look, anybody parent young kids, how do you get them to do what you want? Bribe them. (laughs) Merit-based system of reward. You're warping your kids' minds, Hannah. Listen, I'm just just being funny. It's everywhere, everywhere. Everyone does it. It is part of being a person, okay? Is that we want to be rewarded based on what we do, right? You know, this is a product of the fall, right? This is the product of eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In the beginning, God made Adam and Eve and he put him in the garden and he said, eat from this tree. This is the tree of life. Don't eat from that tree. It's not the tree of good and evil. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we've been screwed up ever since. And it's this this knowledge of good and evil that continually puts us in this place where we want to rate ourselves and we want to rate ourselves amongst ourselves, right? We're sitting in a room, we're like, man, 
I really screwed up yesterday. I kicked the dog and yelled at my kids, but I'm not as bad as that guy. I know what he's been doing. Sorry, Jeff. Didn't mean, didn't mean to out you there, brother. So listen, in the beginning, in the beginning, God said, God said, know me and receive life in the beginning. And guess what? He says the same thing today. Know me and receive life. Okay, listen, but we feel like we must be justified by our works. So guess what we do? We lower the bar for righteousness and we raise the bar for sin. Sin's not as bad as once was and righteousness, well, it's way easier to be righteous than it used to be. We're talking about the amazing love of God today. And we're talking about the simple gospel and I get the pleasure of kicking this off and I love that. So do a little intro as far as that goes on the series as a whole, but this morning we'll focus primarily just on the love of God. And as I was meditating on that and praying about it and thinking about it, I couldn't help but be drawn to John chapter three, of course. And so I read this for you. This is John 3, 16 through 21. And it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light. And will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. I read another interesting meme that said, the true shape of love isn't a diamond, it's a cross. I was like, huh. Sort of goofy and cliche, but cool. This whole redemption story, this whole gospel is set in the framework of the love of God. It is the demonstration says in the New Testament that while we were yet dead in our sins, Christ died for us. This is how God revealed his love to us. And yes, God reveals his love to us 
over and over and over and, and all the time through our, our faith journey and our abiding relationship and our friendship with the Holy Spirit and our fellowship with Jesus. He continually reveals his love to us. But this, friends, is the greatest expression of love ever known to mankind. And in relatively short order, it's interesting that the cross, a symbol of grim torture and death, was transformed into a symbol of hope. This is one of the greatest miracles of the gospel. And so now we look on that cross and we think God's love. Listen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish. Friends, just so you know, here at DCC, we still believe in hell. It is a real thing that there is eternal judgment. And that's one of the topics that Leon's gonna be teaching on in foundation classes. And it is a real thing that God wants every single man, woman, and child on the face of this plant to spend that eternity with him. And that's our mission. That's our goal that's why we're here. The son came into the world not to condemn it, but to save it. Stop wasting your time condemning the world. You're wasting your time and mine, and I'm sick of it. Listen, I'm preaching to myself. So if you get offended, you're just becoming vicariously offended and that's silly. Some of the things that I say this morning are gonna be challenging. The gospel is challenging even though it's simple. And if the gospel doesn't challenge you and it doesn't rub you wrong in your religious places, you're not listening. Listen, we think of this in the sense that like this question of, oh, God is so loving. Why would he send anyone to hell? Read this. It says, it says, whoever believes in him is not condemned. Meaning that he's done everything to get you with him. Okay, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. The state of the world is condemned. And everything and everyone outside of Jesus stands condemned. And the reality is, is that God so loved the world that he made another way that we could get into Christ, be imparted with righteousness and stand before a holy God as his children. He's done everything to make that a possibility. It's not that complicated. A wise man once said, carnality creates complexity. God is calling us to simplicity. That wise man was Christian Shire. If you don't know him, you should, he's great. (laughs) Carnality creates complexity. God is calling us to simplicity. So what is this simple gospel and what is this amazing love of God? 
So as I'm reading through John 3, just realized my timer never started. So I hope your lunch doesn't burn because I'm probably going to go for a long time. (laughs) Three life-changing lessons from John chapter three. Number one, the amazing love of God is others-centered. It is a giving love that is not tied to receiving. Number two, the amazing love of God doesn't condemn people. It saves people. Number three, the amazing love of God is offered in freedom. Control has no place in love. So what does that mean? Others centered. John writes at the beginning of his gospel, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. In the beginning, that word with is the Greek word pros. And that Greek word pros means to be turned toward. It's a, it's a face-to-face kind of fellowship. So in the beginning, Father, Son, and Spirit were together in unity, turned toward one another. Three chapters later, he said, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And the biggest thing that people struggle with with this whole salvation message and this whole gospel is, well, if God's so good and he wants so badly for everyone to be saved, why doesn't he just make them all saved? Because the reality is, is that normal people kind of love is normally tied to getting something in return. So we give expecting to get something, but this is not the love of God that's described here in John chapter three, because he goes on, he says, God so loved the whole world that he gave his one and only son, but we know we know for a fact that not everyone is going to enter into life. Jesus said it clear as day. Not everyone is going to enter into eternal life. And that stinks. The monkey wrenching God's plan is free will. Somebody said it earlier. Thanks a lot. Spoiler alert. Listen, God so loved the world, salvation is for all. Okay, I'm no Calvinist. I don't believe in limited atonement. I believe the atonement of God is unlimited. I believe that he died for every single man, woman, and child who ever walked the face of the planet. The scriptures validate that where they say, where it says that he desires that all men should be saved. But Jesus also says not everyone will receive it. 
So we think about that. Because the gospel isn't just something to talk about. Who was it? St. Francis of Assisi said, go into the world and preach the gospel. And if you have to, use words. The gospel isn't something to talk about. It's something to demonstrate. It's something for you to live. It's something for me to live. And this is the conviction that's in my heart. This is what the Lord's pulling me up personally short on. Kev, how are you living out this love that I've given you? This love that I've demonstrated to you. How are you living that out to your neighbors? How are you living that out in your work? How are you living that out every day? How are you living that out to your family? Because what's being demonstrated here in John chapter 3 is completely others focused. It's completely others focused. Jesus volunteered for the job. He said, sign me up, put me in coach. Put me in. I'll go do that. In Hebrews, it says it was for the joy set before him. And what was that joy? (laughs) Bingo. It was you. It was me. It was all of them. The amazing love of God is others-centered. It is a giving love that isn't tied to receiving. So when we go on Monday and on Tuesday and on Wednesday, let's think about that. Let's pray about that. Let's say, God, how can I give to the world around me with no thought of receiving? What's the opportunity? And don't try to eat the whole elephant in one mouthful. Take a bite. Say, God, show me one thing I can do today. Show me one thing I can do today that demonstrates this because I want to live out this gospel. The amazing love of God doesn't condemn people. It saves people. This is a big one right now. It's a really big one right now. And this has been really heavy on my heart. And frankly, honestly, I'll just even say this, even as we get ready to enter another election cycle, I'm worried for the state of people's relationships. Because for some reason, we just really get confused quickly. And we spend a lot of time talking to people that disagree with us. And trying to get them, hmm, let me just shift gears on that before I get myself in trouble. <clears throat> Too much of the church is marginalizing the lost. How about that? Okay? Too much of the church is spending its time marginalizing the lost. Going out into the world and holding people to biblical standards. Man, before I met Jesus, I was a really good sinner. And I was really proud of it. Not really. I was full of shame. But at least outwardly, 
Because you don't go big or go home. That's just the way I've always been. And at the end of the day, there are a lot of people out there, but here's the church is out going, okay, our idea of evangelism is to go into all the world and tell them that they're doing it wrong. Come on. Let's demonstrate the love of God. What does that look like? Okay, here's the thing, okay? The biblical standard of living isn't for the world. It's for the church. Let's judge ourselves. There's a scripture that says judgment starts in the house. Let's judge ourselves. Let's hold ourselves to the standard of living that Jesus taught. Before we start to hold people that are outside, it's ridiculous. It really is ridiculous. It's a waste of your time and mine. Look, I'm preaching to myself, I promise. I'm not looking at anybody on purpose. <laughs> Don't get offended with me. I'm telling you, it, look at the world. I, when, I was a, when I was a mess and I was a wreck, when I was in the dumps, when I was in the pit, when I was... Uh, lost, thank you. I didn't need somebody to tell me I was doing it wrong. That's not what changed my life. What changed my life was at the lowest of my low, Jesus came into the room. And I encountered a love and an acceptance I never experienced. At the lowest of my low. And I went, Jesus wants me right now. Man. Man. Might as well give that a shot. It's way better than what I'm living. The love of God and the gospel is not about condemnation and judgment. Condemnation and judgment will have its own way. You don't have to bother yourself with that. It's already done. The world already stands condemned. You don't have to condemn anybody. What we should be doing is demonstrating that unconditional love. That love that knows no bounds. That love that sees the lost, the person in the gutter, the me. And says, you're made for more than this. You're made for glory. You're made for glory. You're made to be a vessel of light. A vessel of glory, a vessel of hope a child of God. Had an interesting situation with a guy. Old friend of ours. And he's in my estimation, considerably going off the rails. And so we were having dinner together and we were talking about the conversation turned to sexual promiscuity, um, young people and different things like that, not just young people, but just generally in the world. And I made the comment, 
you know, I just really want to, and I meant this from a very, very loving, you know, perspective. It wasn't meant with any judgment. So I just really want to have more opportunities just to tell people that's beneath you. You're made for more than that. God's got better for you. And it was interesting to me because he was super offended by it. And I was like, why, why is that offensive? Well, I mean, you're saying you're better than that. You know, you're made for more than that. It just totally degrades that lifestyle. And I was like, hmm, interesting. So I'll just say this. Moral relativism is a tool of Satan. There still is right and wrong. There still is God's standard. So it's one thing for me to stand up here and rail against going into the world and trying to judge them according to biblical standards. That doesn't mean you water down your standards. It doesn't mean that in order for us to preach the gospel, in order for us to be loving toward the people around us, that we have to change what we believe. What I mean to say is only this. You can't hold someone to a standard that they don't believe in. It's, it's, it's just illogical. And so rather than that, rather than holding people to a standard that they don't agree with and don't believe in, let's introduce them to the standard. Because his name is Jesus. The amazing love of God is other-centered. It's a giving love that isn't tied to receiving. The amazing love of God doesn't condemn people. It saves people. And the amazing love of God is offered in freedom. Control has no place in love. Here's a question that turned up on the internet. I spent a lot of time on the internet when I'm doing sermon prep. Don't tell anybody. Chad GPT did not write this. That's why I know. If God really desires that all would be saved, but we know, according to Jesus and others, that's that not all people will be saved, then that must mean that there's a power in the universe greater than God, frustrating his desires. Right? Wrong. Nothing is more powerful than God. But listen, true love requires freedom. If love didn't involve freedom, it wouldn't really be love. It would be coercion. It would be persuasion, right? If God just forced us to, what, love him, then it's not love. Love requires freedom. God offers life 
in himself to all of us, but mankind is at liberty to receive him or reject him. This is free will. I've searched this thing from this cover all the way to this cover, even the maps. (laughs) Even the maps. And I have not found in here one single situation where God usurped man's freedom. I tried to find it. It would make things a lot easier, right? I mean, think about it. If I didn't have to choose, then I wouldn't choose wrong. And man, let me tell you what, I choose wrong a lot. I do. Come on, we all screw up. We all fall short. We all make big time mistakes. And at the end of the day, if it was automatic, it would make that easier. I wouldn't make those mistakes. But then things like faith, grace, mercy, love, God's loving kindness, repentance, all of the stuff that we find in here, none of that stuff would matter. It would absolutely be irrelevant and silly. We wouldn't need any of it. We wouldn't need any of that stuff. We would just automatically just be furious lovers of Jesus. But the reality is, is that he's calling us to press in. And that is the biggest thing, the one thing that I'm telling you I would love for you to walk away with this morning. It's that God wants to pull you deeper. The gospel is simple, but it's not easy. Anybody who tells you the gospel is easy is selling something. Probably CDs. Do they still have those? My mom tried to give me some DVDs yesterday. I was like, Mom, I don't have any way to watch these. I'm literally like, I'm going to have to put them in the Xbox. Because that's the only thing I still have that has that little slot in it. Like, how do you even watch? I don't know. Anyways, I I took them. I'll, I'll watch them in the Xbox. What was I talking about? (laughs) DVDs. The gospel is simple. It's not easy. Okay? It's not easy to make the right choices. But it's what we're called to. It's what Jesus is calling us to. He's calling us to make the choice to go deeper with him. And again, when I say make the right choices, I'm not talking about living in perfection because I... I don't know. I'm not sure that that's really all that feasible. And again, that's why his loving kindness leads us to repentance. That's why there's grace. That's why there's mercy. That's why all of that stuff. But at the end of the day, the simplicity of it is he says, abide in me and I in you. Just like it was from the beginning. God says, fellowship with me and you will have life. Don't fuss around with that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't fuss around trying to figure out a merit-based system for your own justification and your own righteousness. 
This is what the Pharisees did. This is the people that Jesus, I mean, Jesus just lit into these guys over and over and over and over and over. And it's fun to listen to. I don't know about you. I listen to the gospels all the time, like over and over on repeat, because I just love the words of Jesus and I love it just washing over me. And it almost kind of like, I'm like, yeah, get them. Yeah, get them, you know? But I'm a Pharisee too. And chances are, so are you in some areas. All this begs the question, how do we respond to this revelation of this amazing love of God? Well, the truth of the simple gospel is this. We give as it has been given to us. In Luke chapter seven, Jesus told a parable while in the home of a judgmental Pharisee named Simon. After discussing the parable, he turned to the known prostitute who had been washing his feet with her tears and wiping them away with her hair. And he said, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven for she loved much. But the one who is forgiven little, loves little. So let's ask ourselves today and tomorrow and Tuesday and so on. How much have we been forgiven? And then let's consider that we ought to give love to others in proportion to the forgiveness which we have received. The band can come. Friends, listen. The amazing love of God is a love that draws in, not one that drives away. It is a love that welcomes a woman caught in the act of adultery and says, your sins are forgiven, now go and sin no more. It is a love that eats with the unclean, and the unrefined, the people that the religious community casts aside as unworthy and unlovable. In fact, let's consider spending less of our energy and resources trying to convince the world that they're not living right and instead spend the same energy and resources learning how to live the way that Jesus taught us, walking out our God-given mandate as vessels of light and glory in the midst of darkness and brokenness. God's desire is that all mankind would be saved. Not just the people that agree with our politics. not just the people that share our ideas on sexuality and gender, not just those who agree with our views on abortion, all mankind, all. So I'll ask you the question I'm asking myself and I've been asking myself for the last couple of weeks. What are we doing to pour out this amazing love 
on every man, woman, and child that we come in contact with. I'll close with this. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, he said, if I speak with tongues of mankind and angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give away all my possessions to charity and I surrender my body so that I may glory, but do not have love, it does me no good. Amen. I want to thank you again for listening to this episode of A Church in the City. If you could use prayer for anything in your life, we'd be honored to partner with you. Send us an email to prayer at dccgr.org. If you like what you heard, please give us a five-star review and share this episode with a friend so that we can fulfill our mission of empowering a movement of passionate Jesus followers. Before you go, a quick reminder about our fundraising for The Roots Project. You can get involved in a bunch of different ways by going to achurchinthecity.org slash miracle group. Thank you and God bless you. We'll see you next time.